I mean, we all got caught flat-footed on issues of inclusivity and diversity. Mm-hmm. Every arts organization in the country is trying to figure out, all right, who are we? Mm-hmm. Who are we showing and not showing? Who are we supporting and not supporting? What are the who are the tastemakers? Who are the influencers within our organization? And what are the pros and cons of their position? It is time for another episode of the Cultural Hall. I'm excited to be able to uh, visit not only with Glenn Nelson during this episode, but also to be able to talk about art. And a huge shout out uh, to my friend, Tara Teaspoon, uh, Tara Bench. She is the one who connected us and to be able to make this episode happen. So, so, So I guess I would ask you, Glenn, why do you think that Tara thought that uh, we should have this conversation here in the cultural hall? Well, thanks for having me, Richie. Richie, it's really great uh, to chat with you. Um, I don't think Tara owes me any favors, so I must owe her some favors. Um, no, I don't know exactly. We have known each other a, a really long time. I mean, she was one of these people who came from Utah, I think on an internship, and just felt immediately at home in New York and decided that she had to make herself indispensable at work. Mm-hmm. Um and I had a similar trajectory. I'm originally from a town in southern Utah that's so small it didn't have a name. We were sheep herders. Okay. And I came here for grad school and just so fell in love with that that uh, I've lived here for almost 40 years now. Wow. So uh, give me an idea because I uh, have lived in the southern Utah for a considerable amount of time. I'm in Salt Lake City now, but what what small town are we claiming? Okay. So you know Cedar City. Sure. You know Enoch. Sure. Outside of Enoch. Oh, wow. There were just farms. Um, yeah. We had our own postman who would deliver the things every other day or something like that to us. We were we were kind of remote out there. We you know, aspired it, to Cedar City. That's what our goal was. Interesting thing. Uh, that still is not a town. That That is still so small that there still is not a township out there. Once you get kind of beyond Enoch, you go, uh, I, I don't know. Is it, uh, are we in Nevada? Is that where this is? Yeah, we, we had about 500 head of sheep and and that's what my life was. So what made you then decide to go to New York City? Obviously grad school, but that seems like quite the uh, scary sort of jaunt to be like, hey, small town Utah to the city of cities. It, it was as traumatic as it sounds. I mean, people kind of move around sort of easily now. I think people grow up thinking seriously about living in big towns, even if they're from small towns. But that wasn't the case where I was from. Um I think both of my parents graduated from college roughly the same time I did. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we really weren't that kind of family who moved out and did other things. But I had come to the city a couple of times in college. And I don't know, it's just this weird thing. I completely felt comfortable here. Like it just made so much sense to me. Or And the things that drove other people crazy, like didn't bother me. And the things that I really, really wanted to do were obviously here. So it was a, a perfect match. It was any sort of, you know, people will talk about like having spiritual or religious confirmation when they get to a place. Was it, would you say that it was that much or or was it just like, nah, I feel good here? It's funny. That's a, that's an interesting thing that you mentioned. No, it wasn't like that. Huh. For me, it was health related. So I had a ton of allergies, which are really, really bad if you're on a farm. <laughs> <laughs> and so I was sick all the time and I never got healthy until I came to New York. Hmm. It, tur- it turns out concrete and pavement are really good for allergies. Um, but then later on, the spiritual thing kicked in because I realized that the community of saints here was just so different from anywhere else that I had experienced. And um, because we were all re- far away from our families, especially those of us who came from the West, 
it really coalesced into a, a very tight community, uh, a surrogate family completely. I've had the opportunity to go to, uh, uh, I think, a Manhattan ward. And I one time I, I've told the story here in the cultural hall before about how one time I attended church in New York and quickly found myself in an American Sign Language ward, not wow. being able to speak American Sign Language or understand American Sign Language and just was like, OK, well, this is. You know, it's no different than if I was going to France or, you know, Spain or something like that and wouldn't be able to understand the language. What, what is it? Um, what do you suppose it is about those New York City wards? Is it is it just the like the melting pot of saints that creates the uniqueness? Because I've heard that from many guests. We've had uh, Richard Bushman here in the cultural hall before, and he talks about that. Certainly Tara has, has spoken about it as well and others. What is it that that makes that so unique because there are other wards where people come from all over. Yeah. Uh, I think there are a couple of things. One is, you know, the city has always been a place where you, you know, immigrants are very, very welcome and you come from, everybody comes from some other place. Mm -hmm. You know, that was the, that's the old model of New York city. And it's built on that idea that you're going to come here and make something of yourself. And so it's a little bit self-selecting in the church, the kind of people who come here want to do something hmm. they're not just inheriting you know a farm like i did and mm -hmm. uh, are just going to live out their days uh following sheep around they're here to do something and sometimes that pans out and sometimes it doesn't and even the people who are here short term you know those in business uh, are for example are willing to work crazy crazy hours to get new york on their resume and so there's just a pride in the sense that you're here to hmm. start with. So you went out there for grad school, grad school in what? I'm English. So I went to undergrad in Cedar City where I was from and I was an English major and I came to New York and didn't want to be an academic. I got a job in publishing and I worked in publishing for a long, long time. And I was a James Joyce scholar, but never really wanted to, to not to teach because in those days, the only kind of teaching job I could have had would have, would have been at a school that would be far removed from the place where I wanted to live. Mm -hmm. And then I married a, a woman that I had uh, been dating in undergrad a little bit. She also came to New York and we've been married for a million years. And we have two adult kids who are now uh, just finishing law school and are a senior in college. Junior did, she college. did she find a similar uh, traumatic transition or was it easier for her or was it easier because you guys had each other? Uh, we married a year after I got here. We weren't married before. Uh, it, I don't know if it was traumatic. I've never asked her. She's in the other room. Our apartment is like three inches square. I well, sure, it's New York. <laughs> um, uh, for her, you know, she became, she got involved in publishing too, but she was on the magazine side. Hmm. And so she worked at Condé Nast and, you know, all the great magazines of the, in the, in the 80s, the magazines were, you know, the tastemakers uh, still. Uh, and into the nineties. And then she, then she went into finance and now works on wall street. Oh, wow. Wow. Okay. Do you feel like you have to, um, and I've get, gotten this impression from, um, those that I've spoken to sp specifically in New York, but I guess this would be for life for anyone that you're like, I'm going to be this. And then you constantly have to be morphing and become a chameleon as different things are needed. Like you're talking about magazines. There are some people listening to this that don't even know what a magazine is or remember the time where you would wait for the magazine to come to the mailbox so you could see what that was. Like, you know, that that transition, that sort of, you know, morphing and becoming what you need to be or 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 I guess just becoming. Well, on the professional side, you mean? Yeah. 
Um, you know, when I started working here, you know, people got pensions. Yeah. I mean, I'm 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 in my early 60s and I've already got a pension from a company that I worked for a long, long time ago. And the old gold watch that you got upon retirement was still the ethos mm -hmm. of most corporations. And that's, of course, changed. People jump around a lot more easily now, but they also change, you know, entire career paths. And I've all I've long been in the arts. And so those artists are the scrappiest of all. I think they, yeah. they know how to put things together. Um, and in New York, of course, there's so much art here everywhere. And it's so um, reverenced by people. It generates more money. It generates more tourism than all of the other things. I mean, the, the statistic that I'm, I lo love to chat about is more people visit the Metropolitan Museum of Art every year than all sports teams in New York combined. Really? And so it's just everywhere. Uh -huh. Art is everywhere in the city. And not just, not just fine art, but people think of, you know, the clothing they wear, they wear the food they eat, the stuff they're driving around in, all the art that's around them, the graphic design, the architecture, they see all of that as a product of somebody who made it. Mm. And so then that flips their switch when they meet somebody who says, oh, I'm an artist. Oh, you're one of those cool people who impacts the way that I live and think. Hmm. Do, do you find when you've had the opportunity to visit other uh, wards, other congregations not in New York, do you find it to almost be a different church? Well, the, the, the old thing, the church is the same wherever you go. Uh, yeah. It's, it's funny because you have the same uh, carpeting, maybe. Um, but <laughs> on the walls, of course, Glenn. That sisal stuff. That whoever hates children so much and wants them all to have skinned noses put that stuff on the walls initially. Sure. Um I don't know. I, I think that the way that the curriculum of study is now and the organization seems to be kind of centralized in some of those really strategic and systematic ways, I think that the wards really do have a look and feel that are the same wherever you go. Music is certainly a binding thing there. But what I find is when you start actually talking to people mm -hmm. and when people answer questions, they're bringing with them their own experience and that range of experience here at least seems to be a little bit different. You know, the main thrust of our uh, conversation in the second and third blocks will be about art um, and, and artistry and those kind of things. And I guess I, I, I would be want to ask you, do you think that it's hard uh, to be an artist, however you interpret that word in the church? I don't. I, I, I think it's quite easy. I think that, um, I don't put any more burden on being an artist than being a plumber. Okay. I think of it as a profession. And uh, I guess that's been influenced too by my time here in New York because art is a profession here. And sure. so it's not, you know, you're not condescending and patting somebody on the head and say, oh, that's nice that you're an artist, but when are you actually going to make money? Right. Or whatever. That, that, uh, that reality is probably true here, but that's not what the conversation is here. And so uh, when I look at artists, and by that, usually I mean not just visual artists, but composers and filmmakers and writers and choreographers mm -hmm. and architects and the whole the whole bit, um, the, they have just as many job opportunities and job security as most people do. 
Why do you think that that attitude seems to permeate throughout the church, that either the the ideology of an artist or those kind of pushing boundaries or expansion is difficult within the church? Or is it, do you think the, well, but when are you going to make enough money to support your family and fulfill God's plan? I mean, I can imagine all those conversations at BYU when some student gets the bug and then goes home at Thanksgiving and says, I've decided to become an actor. Mm-hmm. And the parents are like, not not on my dime. Yeah. Uh, uh, but do you know what? I, I don't have a good answer to that. And I kind of resist the idea of lumping, you know, the church with a capital C as a, as a, as a thing, because in my experience, that's just not what it is. So as I've visited other places in the world, um, their attitudes towards being an artist, you know, vary some cultures, it's just a, a really prized person in society and others are kind of tangential. Um, I think that the, LDS people are a practical bunch. Mm-hmm. Um, one example of that playing out is that, let's say, a student going to a universe, a church-owned university who wants to be an artist of some type. Um, historically, they've been kind of pushed either by peers or, or educators or their family into practical versions of that thing. Sure. Um, as a consequence, we have really great graphic designers, right? <laughs> <laughs> because in other cultures, it's likely that they would have become gone a fine out fine art route. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, we um, those people who who marry and have kids tend to have kind of large families, and uh, they and they need to support them. So uh, some of those risks are very frightening and some it makes it makes sense that they would want to go a, a safe route it has ramifications to the culture overall though sure uh, so like you know the, these fields that are let's say called related arts fields like all the people who are studio musicians for example um i i tend to know more people who are creative artists than performing artists so i'll, I'll talk mostly uh when i say artists about creative artists but um people like you know in in, who are doing uh, web design um, in, in other periods, it's likely that they would have been wanted to be fine artists, but in the, but you know, they, for whatever reason think, no, I think I'm going to do this and I'm going to, and I'm, maybe I'll do art on the side, which is a whole other thing, a very legit thing. And actually it's a really fascinating trend right now. Um, so anyway, I don't know if that answers your question very well, but, but it, it, uh, it's, it varies for sure from community to community. I don't think you can uh, generalize it too safely. Yeah, I appreciate you pushing back. And one of the things that I I sort of gathered from what you were saying is that that uh, y- y- if you find yourself maybe not necessarily fitting in where you are, and maybe I'm putting words into your mouth, but maybe there's a different community that also believes the same way that you do, but may have different feelings about different uh, uh, other aspects of life that you could truly fit in. Like you said, you know, you're you're this small town outside of Cedar City. I'm sure kind of the the thoughts and beliefs around arts are much different in that township than in New York City. And you feel certainly more at home worshiping yes. among those saints. Yes. Well, I, I think I can compartmentalize the worshiping part of it and the art and production part of it. But, you know, where I was from, the arts were very important, mm-hmm. but they tended to be um, making objects. You know, you have weavers and quilters and you have, and like, and it's still the case in Utah. I like, it's all like every, it's like every garage is actually an artist studio of some kind. <laughs> like, 
they just they make things. They're very independent minded. They decide, oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna learn how to make, you know, artist artist frames, and and that will be my side hustle. Um, and they tend not to work as many hours, and so a side hustle can be actually a, a second career for them. So that that's one aspect of it for me is is even though I, I grew up with that thing, it's not it's not an other. Mm-hmm. It's it's part of the same uh, sensibility. Um, it's just slightly it's just slightly different um, in New York. And and I would say that as far as the community and feeling kind of left out, it's a very real issue. Um, I I work with artists in the church and have for uh, decades, and I probably get some kind of correspondence from somebody somewhere in the world who's an artist every day. So it's that kind of level wow. of exposure. The number one thing they say to me is that they feel isolated. Hmm. And so it's not just, you know, if you live in a big city or not, it's just that they they, they just feel isolated. And I would say in response to that, that uh, that online communities have really shifted the way that people can form communities. And, and there's no barrier to entry, really, to sharing uh, whatever that art form is for you. Maybe, maybe not architecture, but everything else. Mm-hmm. And so uh, what I'm finding is that people are feeling satisfied living almost anywhere if they can find support. Uh, and that might be virtual support. So, so if I'm hearing what you're saying, there are, for members of the church and that are artists, there are some online groups that they can kind of be able to be like, hey, I'm an artist, whatever that means, and I want to discuss faith. Is that is it that literal what you're saying, or is it something a little separate from that? It's slightly different because I'm not, when I say, you know, an LDS artist, I'm just talking about somebody who is an artist who's who happens to be a member of the church. Okay. The work that they're making may or may not feel devotional. Its content may or may not ring of LDS doctrines, cultures, texts, and history. Um, just, j- just generally speaking. And so, you know, everybody who owns a phone today is a photographer <laughs> uh-huh. and also an art collector. And so, I'm not really making a distinction that the communities are all LDS and the things that they talk about are LDS-driven topics. Although that often is the case, mm-hmm. but not exclusively. I love it. For so for those that may be listening to this going, yes, you guys are I feel that isolation. I feel the loneliness uh if you haven't found your way into some of those online groups, maybe that is a way to to feel that greater connection or some sense of community if you're not finding it where you actually live. Let's uh let's take a break, Glenn. When we come back in the second block, Glenn has prepared and I appreciate this uh about 10 things, 10 trends in art by LDS people. And uh, he's going to explain kind of what that means. And we're going to go through five of them in the second block and then five in the third block. We will come back and do that in just a minute. Bestdjinutah.com is the website that you need to go to if you would like to party with me. Now, Just because it says Utah as part of the URL does not mean that it has to be in the state of Utah. I've traveled to such illustrious places as Wyoming, Nevada, Texas, Washington, and others, Idaho as well. If uh, if you're having an event and you think, you know what, I would love the energy, the charisma that is Richie uh, to be able to bless the event. I don't know why I said bless. You can hit me up, bestdjinutah.com. Maybe you, you yourself are getting married or has been the case multiple times this year. You are the apparent not a parent, just the parent, uh, or one of the parents, because there's multiple parents. I'm getting distracted. You are one of the parents of the bride or groom, and you think, 
Richie would be great to be at this event. You can hit me up, bestdjinutah.com. Be sure that you mentioned uh, that you hear it on the cultural hall. I may, in fact, even get you a little bit of a discount. Who knows? We'll see how I feel that day. It's bestdjinutah.com. Imagine running a small business today. It's challenging. Imaging and internet presence is an absolute must. Even with that, you're still a small star in a bright cyber universe. Now, imagine you have someone who understands how to get your site designed for your talents and then easily searched by potential clients. Imagine Lennon Design. Whether it's strictly a website or a whole package of logo creation, advertising media, and promotional materials, Lennon Design is your partner in business. They'll test the boundaries of their imagination to create something unique for you. When you need creative Creative, affordable design, let it be Lennon Design. Call 801-699-3022 or visit LennonDesign.com. Here in the second block of the Cultural Hall, I remind you that if you like this episode or any other episode, you can take a quick moment and you can find wherever you're getting these episodes of the show and leave a review. Or if your particular outlet doesn't allow you to leave a review, I'm going to challenge you to say, hey, friend, whoever that friend may be, and then send them a link to this episode or whatever episode you like, you should check out The Cultural Hall. We would love to have them listening. We would love to have you listening and encourage you to do that. So leave a review or share this with a friend, why don't you please? I mean, Tara did. That's how Glenn got here. Glenn, you have prepared a list, 10 Trends in Art by LDS People. And before we get into them, I I, I just want to get an idea of like what formulated this list? How did you come about it? What what does this really mean before we get into the individual trends? Well, the, the fact is I woke up too early this morning and said, oh, I probably should have something to say to Richie. Like, I don't know what's gonna, what I'm going to say. So it, it occurred to me that um, because of the kind of access that I have to this full range of creative artists in the church, it might be interesting to make some generalizations of what's going on right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's where that came from. So I just I just made this list and 10 seems to be a very David Letterman-ish yes. uh, number for me. And so uh, and so that's what that's where that came from. Well, and, you know, I hadn't thought about asking you about this. Um, but before, but before we get into this, I would just be curious as to your thoughts, you know, recently the church got into a little bit of hot water with, uh, adjusting the, the picture of Mary that they asked people to download, uh, you know, the, their, the original picture had Mary and she was a little bit busty and there are some cherubs and, and they decided well, we're going to make her a little more modest and make the cherubs disappear. Cause that doesn't fit in with LDS doctrine. Do you, do you as a, as a, um, as an artist, as a lover of the arts, have particular feelings about things like that? Things like this pop up every once in a while, don't they? Uh-huh. You know, the design will crop off some really nice Renaissance angel wings or whatever. Um, I mostly stay clear of all of this. It doesn't really affect me necessarily. Mm-hmm. I think the artists who are living aren't particularly affected either. Um, those who are working in a kind of an illustrational mode certainly get feedback of what what their people want from them or don't want from them. But I I tend to think of myself as, you know, I'm a middle of the road kind of member of the church, a card carrying member, as it were. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I think of myself as a resource for the church, but I'm not really trying to reform it mm-hmm. or trying to necessarily influence it. The one thing that I find interesting is that from time to time, um, organizations in the church will reach out to me and they'll say, hey, do you know anybody? Or Hey, I'm, we're thinking of doing this. You know, what would you do if you were in charge of it? And I'm super happy uh, to share that. But but other than that, I kind of don't get into involved in the this this little 
those little spats. Yeah. 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 Okay. Fair enough. I like that. I appreciate that attitude. You say the first trend is that there are far more artists, painters, composers, writers, choreographers, filmmakers, etc., who are members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints than anybody knows. Yes, by um, I mean by any kind of number you want to you want to put, there are many, many more than that. I'm just I mean I've I've done a pretty good job I feel documenting those, keeping uh, lists and databases. Like I have a database of maybe 1600 composers, wow. 100 of them with PhDs in composition or DMAs. Um, I think I have my my visual arts database is maybe 2,500, and it's completely woefully short of what's really going on, and so on and so on. And so all of these artists, and again, I'm just referring to them as, you know, they self-identify in some way as members of the church. That's my criteria. I don't quiz them on, like, <laughs> do you know all the words from, you know, yeah. primary Name song, the prophets whatever. beginning at Joseph Smith. Go. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> I get you. Things that I would fail at myself. Yeah. So I, I don't really make those kind of distinctions. And I don't think this, I'm not a judgy guy. It's just not how, how I'm wired, really. But the, this interesting thing, though, of there being so many artists has real ramifications for us. Like, why don't we know more of them? Mm -hmm. Like, who is responsible for us not knowing more of them? And what are the consequences of our lack of exposure to them? Like, if we did know them, would we have a different sense of ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. would we, in the case of being global, for example, but that's just one example. Would we see ourselves as a culture differently if we were more aware of what's going on right now, to say nothing of what has happened already um, as artists and their um, their effect on the culture? So how do, how do we do that? Well, that's what I do for a living. Yeah. Um, the, the, you know, it all starts with data. I mean, I'm not a science guy, but it really does start with data and contacts. And then you just tell their stories and allow them to tell their stories. And you be a bridge between artists and collectors and artists and scholars and artists and programmers and so on. And then you connect them to each other. So all of those things are incremental. But I've noticed just in the last 10 years or so, a real uptick on the interest levels of of just members of the church to know more. Hmm. I think maybe it's burnout, like, you know, how many of the same image can they really see over and over? Sure. Um, but also, um, I think the world is affecting how they how they view and what they expect from a variety of sources rather than a single source. And I guess the other question that I have sort of around it is, you, you know, you say that you're sort of a gatherer of these folks. If someone is an artist and listening to this and and is like, "Hey, I don't think you've got me, Glenn." Is there is there something that they can send or go to or register or contact you or how would they how would they do that? Well, are you nice? I don't know if anyone's ever asked me that question before. I don't know how people find me. I'm always kind of curious about that. But I I I'm I'm a responder, I'll tell you. Like if you send me an email, and it's just Glenn with one N, glenn.nelson.nyc at gmail. Mm -hmm. um, people write to me and they say, hey, I'm I'm here in the Dominican Republic and I'm a sculptor and my dad's a sculptor and um, here's what we're up to. I'll say that's very cool. And then, uh, you know, almost always when that happens, somebody else will be writing about something and they'll say, oh, if we only knew somebody in the Dominican Republic, I would say, here you go. This yeah. guy just wrote to me. I'll tell you, I can't tell you how many times that's that exact scenario has happened. Um, and I, I, you know, I don't know if I should ascribe it to some divine intervention or if it's just this quirky thing that happens, but it happens all the time. And so, yeah, I would I would love to hear 
uh, from people. One of the things that I'm working on this year, for example, is to document to the extent I can every creative artwork that happens for a year anywhere mm. in the world. Wow. And uh, the Center for Latter-day Saint Arts, uh, I'm, I'm an editor of this magazine called The Season. It's an online monthly magazine. And we also have a calendar there. And so I'm just creating little you know, entries for, for every single thing that I can find, including there are about uh, 250 podcasts that I've documented, for example, that are on there. And so uh, every time that somebody writes to me, I say, hey, what are you up to? Like, <laughs> I'd love to follow you. I'd love to keep track with you, keep track of you. So it's Glenn with one n dot nelson dot nyc at gmail.com and we'll put that in the show notes so that people can be able to reach out to that number two you say byu's influence on the creation of artists waxes and wanes yeah um this is sort of a curious one uh, you think let's say let, if you're thinking for example of a school of thought an ism right mm-hmm. cubism impressionism abstract expressionism whatever those are often created in collaborations in communities and you would think that BYU being this large aggregator of students with a training programs of various arts would have created lots of uh, artists in a certain school of thought. Um, like, you know, like, like Black Mountain College or Darmstadt in Germany or CalArts. Each of those has a really specific approach that the artists have that they got essentially from their school training. And that really hasn't happened uh, at BYU, particularly after the 1970s and 80s. Um, Mormon Mormon Arts Festival era ended. Mm-hmm. Uh, it it kind of has dissipated, and so BYU, for as far as the creation of artists, has now become a kind of a feeder place for grad school, where voices usually artistic voices are usually discovered a little bit more. The exception isn't that kind of interesting though. Yeah, because if you think about it, you think, wait, wouldn't you think BYU would be this um, this complete ground zero for where artists become artists yes not really the exception though is the commercial arts Hmm. so again we were talking earlier about the the practicality of things so if you talk about commercial music or animation film design for sure and photography those um the artists that have come out of byu do have recognizable styles like for a period there in new york there were a whole bunch of magazines uh martha stewart living uh what was that called? Simple Living or something like that? Mm-hmm. Real Simple or something like that? Yeah, Real Simple. And a whole bunch of magazines like that. They were all LDS designed. They had tons of LDS people working for them. The creators would go to BYU and recruit really heavily. And uh, and BYU as a style from those departments has a, a type-centered graphic design approach. Mm-hmm. They love type. Uh, it's very clean. It's kind of classical. Mm-hmm. Um it's not messy graffiti. That's not what BYU does. And the same thing you might say with animation, like this animation studio from BYU. I don't know how long ago it started. Kelly Loosely is the main guy there now. Well, they populated every American animation studio in the country. Right. I mean, Pixar, Disney, Blue Sky, you know, they all have LDS people in them. And some of those are working at a, you know, a really high level, even a junior executive level now with lots of influence there. And I'll be curious to see how that uh, plays out in commercial music. BYU used to have a program that was just, you know, fine art music, essentially. And if you didn't want to write a symphony, if you instead wanted to do an album, you know, with Donnie and Marie, <laughs> you wouldn't really, there wasn't really a place for you. You had to kind of struggle with that. 
And they split the program um, a few years ago and they have a commercial music program. And the consequence of that has been an uptick of lots of people working in recording studios, a group of people who went to Hollywood and are scoring films, some of the major serious players in mm -hmm. Hollywood and from LDS comp compositional standpoint. And a new group that I just came in contact with very recently, those uh, doing composition for video games. And hmm. those they're they the biggest the biggest titles in the world. And these five or six LDS composers um, are kind of, I wouldn't say corner of the market, but they are a huge presence. And, and most of us in the church have never even heard of, heard of them, even though, you know, gaming is like, is like an industry that's so large. It's, it's the equivalent of all movie, TV production and publishing combined. That's yeah. how big global gaming is so when you say that there are these people who are creating the, the soundtracks for games which are a major component of the experience of gaming and their lds all of a sudden oh okay that's you want to talk influence let's talk influence right? yeah and fascinating that we don't you know that we don't know about those people or, or or rather that we don't know name of person is associated with halo modern warfare whatever these games might be but they very much are and are you know underscoring what they do fascinating yeah i have a fun job don't i yes, you do. yeah, i kind of like this job yeah for sure uh number three is many lds artists of accomplishment have no utah connection they were not born in the intermountain west didn't go to school there and don't work nor live there i i i think i i find this a little uh fascinating and and awesome i find it great to know that it's not just like we were here and then we spread out now that we're we're coming from everywhere. Everywhere is doing this. Right. You know, there's this sort of mythology of the diaspora, right? Mm -hmm. That we, we we gathered together, which was not ever actually true. Like, I mean, there was a certain, uh, uh, definitely critical mass, but don't tell Emma Smith that everybody <laughs> gathered. Like, there are exceptions, right? Sure. And, uh, and then the same thing happened um, on the other side after, after people in the early 20th century really started moving elsewhere. Um, we have, we imagine that the the influence of Idaho, Utah, you know, Arizona. We um, call it the Jello Belt, Glenn. Do we? Yeah, I I don't. Um, <laughs> it, the, I love that. It, I reject that. I reject that title. I reject that. Okay. I, I gently reject it. Uh, anyway, but but that's 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 a slight uh, a slight myth. So the the people that I'm talking about are people who are you know in their minds a hundred percent Mormon mm -hmm. who have no connection to Utah in that way. Yeah. And so like there are people from California, like I mean, I mean a few examples, uh, like Lansing McCloskey, a California composer who's won every award you can win, just recently won a Grammy for best choral performance, um, trained at Harvard, now lives in Miami. You know, he, he's just jumped around, never in Utah. There's a dancer, her name is Michelle Dorrance. She won the MacArthur Genius Grant in her early 30s, has her own company. Um, she's the toast of the town. She's a tapper. Toast of the town here in the city. Just choreographed her first Broadway show. Um, you know, she's she's from North Carolina. She didn't go to BYU. Hmm. And, then the, and then the composers, I mean, and then the artists of distinction who were born outside the U.S. and, and reside there. Uh, Ricardo Rendon from Mexico. Fantastic sculptor yeah. that every person in the church should know. Um, Francisco Estevez in Spain, who studied with Olivier Messiaen and had and had his feet in every mo movement that mattered in European music in mid-century, and Lele Tian from China, who now lives in Paris and studied at IRCAM and elsewhere, and then there are a whole new group of people like 
the uh, filmmaker from the uh, Democratic Republic of Congo, Zobar Kamambi, and and other people. And so they obviously they they love Utah. I don't know if they follow it in the news, but they <laughs> they love it. They're connected to it emotionally in some way. But there's no real connection in the sense that there's an expectation that everybody in Utah should know them and mm -hmm. vice versa. And so the consequence of that is if you're getting your information about LDS culture from news organizations that are based in Utah and don't and if they don't reach out beyond that, then you're getting really a very small slice of the pie. Culture. Yeah, I, I'm, I am encouraged uh, by that particular trend and, and point. In fact, I, I like that knowing you know, n knowing that, that they don't need to have that connection, that they don't, I mean, they have the connection as far as leadership goes, but, but beyond that, that there isn't there, that there isn't that born and raised and went out. It's just, we, we, we do it wherever we're at and, yeah. and don't have to have that Utah connection. Number four, you say today's, well, if, I could, if I could, if I could add one quick thing to that one, yeah. the consequence really plays out in, in the kind of work they're making. Mm -hmm. So if you're an artist in Utah and you have the, in the back of your mind that this audience is a kind of homogenous audience that's going to look at your work, you create work for it. If you're outside of that, then you're making the work for the audience where you live, uh, that, you know, that community. And it could be much broader than that. So those artists works tend to be different. Yeah. Uh, number four, you say today's LDS artists values and beliefs are more subtle than previous eras overt religious content. What do you think I mean by that? Well, I mean, so uh, I guess uh, as I read that, I think that, uh, uh, you know how, like, let me give you an example of how I think I interpret this. You know, when you go to Disneyland, if you've ever been to Disneyland and you sort of walk around the park and you go, that person's a member of the church, that person's a member of the church. Maybe you don't do that. Maybe it's that's just a thing that you talk people do in California. But but I feel like maybe that is kind of what you're saying, where it was very easily identifiable or that there were like, um, there were sort of like, I don't know, subtle references to things that were like, oh, that's what you do. If you're an LDS artist of some sort, you have this kind of component in it. It would make it that much easier for us to be able to see and identify we've sort of rejected or moved away from that or, or, or just don't do that anymore. Is that what you mean? Yeah, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would say, I would say as people, the people are the same in, in the sense that, you know, they're people living their lives and trying to get through the day. Sure. And they're also trying to pay the rent and they're, you know, doing that stuff. I would say that the work that they're making today, not just outside, you know, we were talking earlier about outside of Utah specifically, but I'm just talking generally now. Mm -hmm. The artists who are making work, I think, are less likely to make overtly religious work today than they were even five years ago. I think that they're they're changing, they're wanting to talk more about themselves, um, mm -hmm. identity, they're wanting to connect with social issues of the day, um, they see the the zeitgeist playing out and affecting them in ways that they probably hadn't anticipated. They didn't necessarily train for that, um, and so that's what that's what I, I I mean a little bit in in the olden days. Um, let's say you know seventies eighties when when the Enzyme magazine was really an arbiter mm -hmm. of of taste uh, in the in visual arts and and as well some other things like poetry and some music. Um, people aspire to that. They aspire to be in that publication. 
And I think that today uh, they have so many other outlets for creativity that I, I don't think that they're picturing themselves in those places as much. Hmm. Okay. All right. I'll take that. Uh, number five, and then we'll take a break and head into the third block. You say technology has allowed artists who are not looking for full-time careers to make and share their work easily. And this seems pretty self-explanatory, but maybe we go into it a little bit. Yeah, it, it, it is. And it, it's, uh, it's a thing that especially matters to somebody like, you know, when I went, when I had young kids, I was the stay at home dad. Mm -hmm. And so I, I can really, um, I can really respond personally to the idea of I'm at home, I'm having kids, I consider myself a creative person, but I can't make anything. And so, you know, it starts eating at you. Sure. I think a lot of artists today, so I'm not going to just generalize as stay-at-home moms because that wasn't my own experience, sure. but a lot of those artists are making art now where they might not have done it. They're making art because they can share it. And so when I talk to them and I say, well, what are you going to do with this painting you just made? They say, oh, I don't care. Like they're not, <laughs> commerce is not, is not primary to them. Uh, communication is hmm. and they get the and they get their online friends involved in the creation of their work to the extent that they're saying what color should i paint this cloud i mean like they're it's really quite collaborative which is an online uh, social media kind of endeavor but um large in the visual arts for example they're largely outside of the gallery system and so uh, I, I'm not sure how long they want to do that or how long they can continue to do that. And then the other side of the technology thing um, is global artists. So artists, artists far removed from the tastemakers of LDS culture can completely be a part of it if they want to. Hmm. Language isn't a barrier. Distance isn't a barrier. In fact, those things are really desirable. But but in that there is some commerce as well where people are creating and there's artistic things like I I think of any sort of um like Etsy or any some you know some of these other things kind of play into it as well these there are those people that are like I am the stay at home person and they have that creative endeavor and now more than ever they can make the soaps that they felt like was creative or the you know the quilts that when the kids are asleep, they are making those kind of things and be able to have that not only supplement, but also be able to create that community around their particular product where 15 years ago, they wouldn't have been able to do that. Right. Well, the other side of that is the professional who does this as a second thing. I mean, how many attorneys have a novel in the works, right? Right. Or how many people are, are writing poetry in a really serious way? Well, no one makes a profession out of poetry. If you, if you exclude the education side of it if you're a professor um but there are a lot of people who are doing that kind of thing because it's just really easy to share it yeah. it's just really easy to do it so i mean i started talking about the stay at home model but it's, it's much much broader than that um and we see that even with general authorities like all of these general authorities who paint on the side mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and you think that that doesn't trickle down to the culture yeah. to see all of these general authorities who are artists um and who are art collectors and so on it's really a fascinating little culture we've got in that regard. And I wish we knew more about that because I know we do see glimpses of those. I see kind of the little like maybe there's a social media post or kind of a side reference to that. But I really wish we put a, a bigger spotlight on some of that stuff. I think that that, that could be, if, if at very least interesting, but far more, you know, influencing um, the, the culture within the church or an appreciation, all the things, all the great things that could come from knowing more about that. Yeah. 
I agree with you. Let's take a break. We come back in the third block. We do six through 10. We'll be back. Hi, friends. Dan, the Laptop Man here from PC Laptops. You can get a brand new PC Laptops desktop, and they start at only $29 a month. And it comes with a lifetime warranty. Just check us out at PCLaptops.com. That's PCLaptops.com. Here in the third block of the Cultural Hall, remember, you can become a Patreon saint of the Cultural Hall. You go to Patreon.com forward slash the cultural hall where with uh, as little as five dollars a month you get to be a part of the secret but not sacred facebook group that we have created it's other people that just love the cultural hall love to be able to to uh, discuss behind the episodes they'll say things like uh, oh did you see in glenn's video the cool painting that he had on his wall i wonder who made that those are the kind of conversations that happen in the patreon group so make sure you go to patreon.com forward slash the cultural hall. It's also the only way to get the videos of these episodes that we record. Glenn, number Wait a minute. videos. Uh, <laughs> had I only known. Yeah, had I only known. I mean, I'm 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 looking like it's a little early in the morning for me too. You said the church and affiliated organizations you line up BYU TV, KSL, Deseret Book, etc., are eager, even desperate, to find new voices in the arts particularly artists of color. Yeah, that I would say that's probably one of the largest uh, trends from the last couple of years within the church. I mean, we all got caught flat-footed on issues of inclusivity and diversity. Mm-hmm. Every arts organization in the country is trying to figure out, all right, who are we? Mm-hmm. Who are we showing and not showing? Who are we supporting and not supporting? What are the who are the tastemakers? Who are the influencers within our organization and what are the pros and cons of their position? And it's not, you know, it's not just us and it's not just this time period. I mean, when I first came to New York, the Gorilla Girls were huge in the 80s. They were a feminist group of artists and they would call out, you know, the bigger museums and galleries. And they would say, why are you only showing men? Mm-hmm. Why are all of the women, you know, the only women, the, I think the joke was uh, that they would say was at the Metropolitan Museum, the only the only way to get in here if you're a woman is as a nude. Um <laughs> And so it's not just us and it's not just this time period, but it really is um, manifested in the last few years, I would say five years. And so as a consequence, uh, these organizations that create content that are related to the church are very, very eager. I mean, like really eager to uh, just to be just to do the right thing, like mm-hmm. to find new people. And uh, and it's not tokenism. It's, that's not it. It's not deflecting criticism um i think they're good-hearted i i think they're they're in the right place they're trying to do it and so if somebody has information about you know a poet a photographer a painter a composer you know of color and the church would be all over that mm-hmm. like they, they're really eager i mean the the church history museum does these international competitions and they've done a ter- terrific job i think they're you know they've done more than 10 of them at, to to identify artists from all over all over the world, um, the Center uh, for Letters St. Arts did a did a celebration of of BIPOC artists last June called I Am, and you know KSL said yes, we'll help produce it. Deseret Books said yes, here's the five figure check. BYU TV said yes, can we record it and broadcast it? Like they they wanted to be a part of it. And when it was over, Deseret Books said, can we take it across the street? Because this uh, this celebration was at um, at the, whatever that big building is, the conference center. Uh-huh. Um, can we take it over to Deseret Book and show it for a month? Like 
they they want to they want this kind of content and i find that really really encouraging the the trick of it is along with along with shining a light you have to give a microphone as well mm-hmm. like you want you want to hear the stories that we all have to say and in my my feeling is in the, i love the church um but i really love the people mm-hmm. I, and i think every voice matters and i'm just I mean, I'm just really curious what everybody's doing. So, so I'm I'm happy to report that that's that's a significant trend. Well, and I love that too because uh, you know the different perspectives allow me to get a greater, grander picture. Uh, allows me to look at something the way that someone else looks at it, and if it's if it's really different from how I might look at something, it allows me to do that. I always call it the sort of Ferris Bueller moment at the at the museum. You know, if you've ever seen Ferris Bueller and they're at the, the Chicago Museum of Art and they're just staring at the painting and they're doing that quintessential like standing and thing. Like, I love that opportunity to go, I don't understand this perspective or I wonder what they're trying to say and it's not it's not coming to me. I love to be challenged by that. And I find the more I can expose myself to more and more different voices, I don't have to agree. I don't have to understand at first, but I really love that kind of, okay, what are, what are we saying here? I'd love to get this perspective. And I, and I think that makes it, you know, that much more of a rich experience rather than I know exactly what this is. I've seen this before. Isn't this like this other thing? I love the different voices being able to speak right. into that. Preaching to the choir is, is not particularly interesting, um, is it? You know, the one thing that I'll say about <clears throat> these organizations, and I'm just using, you know, KSL and Deseret Book and BYU TV as examples, but I think everybody knows mm-hmm. um, what I'm talking about when I say to that. Um, the people involved with those, so the, those executives, the people who are producing those, that content, they're smart people. Mm-hmm. They're educated. They know what good is. I sometimes think that they are creating content that is less than they could, not because of their own fault, but because the audience isn't there for them. Hmm. Like they're being held hostage almost in a way sure. uh, by their audiences. And that's kind of all on us. Like if we were, if we were more supportive when these organizations took took risks, for example, or or showed new people, they would get the message very, very quickly. Sure. Sure. Let's uh let's head to number. Seven, artists are creating more work that speaks to personal identity rather than trying to represent the church. We sort of spoke about this one a little bit earlier. Is there anything additional you would like to add to it? Yeah, I don't have too much to add, but I will say that absent of church sponsorship, right? Uh Like that kind of, you know, I'm going to commission a painting, I'm going to commission music or whatever. Absent that, there's less of a motivation for artists to make work that would be immediately of use to the church. So that would be like, illustrations uh hymns and so forth and so instead of that there are many artists who are saying well what i want to do is i want to share who i am and that's become almost a proxy for the kind of model that used to be generated toward conversion it's more now about sharing who you are yeah uh, number eight, you say lds artists are very much engaged with social issues of the day yeah. Where, may, where, where maybe, uh, would you say that the trend used to be that they would very much steer clear from those things and now we're sort of engaging in those or is it the same, just more? No, it's it feels different to me. I would say that they're emboldened in a way. 
Hmm. And maybe part of that is because they're receiving such support online in their own, in those sort of communities. And like, you know, on podcasts and other things too, that they feel like that they can just talk about it. But like, um, it's not that they're wanting to, you know, cause trouble or anything. They're just sure. talking about often from their, from very personal experience, they're just talking about their own experience. So like I, I sat down, uh, what's today, Tuesday, I sat down yesterday with a filmmaker Luis uh, Fernando Puente, and he has a short film uh, that's being premiered at the Sundance Film Festival in a couple of weeks. And it's about his own experience as an immigrant from Mexico and his wife's experience. And the whole film is a green card interview. Hmm. And so you could list almost any social issue. And I could say, okay, here are the artists you should know right now who are creating, creating content on about that. And the works are are so beautiful and meaningful because they often are very personal. They're not somebody saying the should, you know, the world of should is gone for them. Mm-hmm. Woulda, shoulda, coulda. They don't care about that. What they're saying is, here's what's happened to me. Here's what's happening to the people I love. And I want to be sure that you know about that. Pretty powerful. I mean, even just in you sort of reflecting, you know, that one individual experience, I can't, I can't imagine what that short film is like. Awesome that it's getting the attention from the Sundance Film Festival and, 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 you know, hopefully it can bring some recognition, not only that individual as an artist, but also to the social issue at hand. That's, yeah, he, he that's told pretty me, incredible. He told me, I think it like something like 11,000 or uh, submissions for yeah. this category and 64 were chosen. And he's already decided to take the short film, which is about 13 minutes long and turn it into a feature length one. And the the LDS component is absent from the short one, but it's a major component of the of the larger version, the the feature length one. And so, like, how are people from other countries treated at church? Yeah, what is what is their life like when they go through the immigration process, which is just this horrible? It's 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 brutal. It's brutal. Yeah. What what kind of support do they get? What is it like for them? And I think that that's would be really fascinating for us to know and for other people to know about us. Yeah, I love that. Uh, number nine, you say arts scholarship is on the verge of exploding because there are many academics in the arts who are LDS. Okay, so this is an interesting one. Uh, do, does it surprise you to know that there are many many academics in the uh, in the arts who are LDS? Uh, no. No, maybe, I, I, maybe define it a little bit more for me because I'm, I'm. It may be a little cloudy for me as you describe. Well, it. let's say by academics, let's say um, an art history, uh, you know, a- academic, the person who's kind of writing art history books, for example, uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, or, or you know, that kind of scholarship. And so this is connected to BYU a little bit. So in the, uh, if you are working at a church school and you want to write a book or an article or whatever on an LDS-related content or a topic, you don't get academic credit for that. And, uh, and so it's, a, it's quite a disincentive. So that group of scholars are largely sidelined from this discussion. I'm talking about this whole other wave of academics who are LDS, who are all over the country and elsewhere, and they're, they're gearing up to, to talk about our culture in really significant ways. When I was chatting with Richard Bushman a few years ago, when we were starting to create our organization together, he was asking me like what I thought of where we were in uh, in our culture regarding the arts. And I said, we are today where history was 50 years ago. 
There's mm-hmm. that much to discover. Wow. And the way that art the, the way that the church historians shifted the dialogue is what art historians, critics, and scholars will do with uh, with LDS artists. So this is also largely aside from the uh, Mormon studies programs. These are just people who are, you know, that's their job. Like, like the center is creating a, a big book. Oxford University Press is uh, printing it in uh, 2024. And, uh, you know, I... Uh, it's, it's maybe two dozen uh, scholars are writing that book. So I just had to create a list. Okay, who are the people with PhDs in art history or aesthetics or whatever? Who are LDS? Or who is a senior curator or a museum director level? And like there were 50 like that. Jeez. And so do those people know each other? Oh, no, of course they're not. No, they're, they think they're in, they're in as big a silos as some of the artists are. Mm-hmm. And so for them to say, wow, did you know this person? Did you know that person? He's at Yale. Yes, yeah, she's at, you know, North Carolina, Chapel Hill. Like all of these things are happening now and uh, technology is facilitating it. But our hunger for it is is a larger driver for it. Hmm. All right. We're going to bring it home in David Letterman style as we talk about the 10 LDS artists from history who quote, left the church, quote, are due reappraisals because their work draws from the culture in surprising ways. I'm curious about this one. You are? Yeah, good. I don't know if number 10 is like the least exciting one or the most (laughs) exciting one, but this is something that has appealed to me for a while. Um, You know, looking looking at the arts from people in the church has often been a binary exercise. You're all in or you're all out, right? Mm-hmm. It's a black and white decision. But I don't think that way. I, I think in these terms of a spectrum of belief today. And for some, if an artist is no longer participating in the church, they imagine that the influence of the church is gone from their work, which is entirely incorrect. Mm-hmm. So I'm especially interested these days on how an artist's work changes if they distance themselves from the church. Actually, it's really, really fascinating, and it's not what you think. It's not like, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna ban this part of me forever. No, they reimagine what these values and and systems of thought are, and they come up, they they pop up in really, really interesting ways. If you look at any artist in any medium, uh, you know, it could be like an abstract painter or a jazz musician or whatever it is. If you look at their full body of work. Whatever it is that they really care about, their values, beliefs, their religion, whatever it is, pop up. It's going to. If they make horror movies, whatever it is, (laughs) over time, their values and beliefs are going to pop up. And what I'm finding as I research some of these artists uh, from the past, let's say Mahan Rayan, for example, or others, um, we've kind of we've kind of pushed them aside because of these of of our judgment of them. Um, but when you really look at their work, it's there and, and it's, and so it speaks to us. And so just recently I, I curated an exhibition of this jazz age cartoonist named John Hill Jr. from Salt Lake city, came to New York, became an extremely wealthy uh, man in today's dollars, you know, several hundred million dollars from cartooning alone. Wow. His, His best friend from Salt Lake who wasn't LDS founded the New Yorker. Um, and so they, he was, he was just everywhere for a while that you could be. He also wrote all of these books. He wrote all of these novels, but I think there were seven books altogether. And so I decided to get all of them. So I read all these books and I'm reading through all of them. There is Mormonism everywhere in those books. <laughs> and that got me thinking, like, why are we not looking? Like this clearly meant something important to him. And also just to me as a reader, 
like when I'm reading these works and I'm thinking like, what would it have been like to be in the jazz age? You're, you know, you're a teetotaler and you're trying to figure things out and you have LDS values. What does that mean? How does that affect you? How does that affect your life? So I was a, another example, I was at an art gallery opening uh, in uh, downtown Chelsea uh, recently. And an artist uh, was here in the city. He, uh, he isn't active in the church anymore. And we were going through the works of the exhibition and he had three works in a group show. And he's talking to me and he goes, oh yeah, this one is based on Joseph Smith. Oh yeah, that one's based on the Oakland <laughs> Temple. And I'm thinking, really? Yeah. First of all, the question is why is that still such a driver for you? Um, and I don't think the average viewer would make those connections at all. Mm -hmm. But for him as an initiator of the idea, it was completely in there. And so like, we're way too judgmental regarding mm -hmm. all of this stuff. I think you can kind of get my, my gist on that. And especially when we're looking back over history, we have to eliminate this gauze of did they stay active or did they sure. not go active? Because the economics didn't necessarily support somebody to stay in the church if the church wasn't supporting them. Uh, and they, they had a really tough choice to make. Um, and so, you know, I, I don't want to judge them. But I, I am really curious to look back with fresh eyes. You know, you mentioned something uh, much earlier in our discussion as we kind of wrap this out. It, you, you know, you said that you are kind of a middle of the road guy. You're not much of a reformer. But but history would teach me that it is oftentimes the artists that bring change to a culture, or at least that's my interpretation of it. As, as you see the the art that is being um produced by all these various kinds of artists do you see um like those changes of inclusivity facing the things from our past some of the the scars and 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 wounds and some of those things from the past as these artists kind of depict them uh whether literally or you know their 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 perspective so they they come out through the work that they do do you, do you see a, an air quotes reformation coming from the artists and the art that's being produced right now yeah you know i mean i have a big bump on my head from where i banged my head against the wall so much <laughs> this question um i i would like to think that um the culture could evolve in some ways that are super positive yeah um, in all of these regards, there are some systemic issues that are holding it back, holding the people back from this. I think with issues like this, once you've opened the gate, because I'm a farmer, so I have to use some sure. farm analogies. Once you open the, the, the gate, uh, the, the barn door, you can't close it again. Right. And I feel like um, all of these artists are kind of like the animals in a barn and they're peering out. You know, and if we embrace and they're coming out one way or another, right. and if we embrace them, we're going to learn something. Right. If we don't, then they're going to go off and do whatever they need to do in life. So it's for me, it's, it's what is the opportunity? And I, I have a feeling that young people today are just not going to tolerate anything short of a bigger discussion over everything. It's just it's just. I mean, I don't know what cataclysmic event would shift that trajectory. Sure. So I, I can imagine, I can imagine quite a lot happening with that. Um, for a long time, people would say to me in one snarky way or another, well, you know, the art isn't very good, or well, you know, we have to cut cut the artists some slack. Someday we'll have, you know, in a President Kimball kind of way, we'll have our own Mormon Michelangelo's and so on. What I'm saying today 
is, oh no, the artists are already there. There are artists of quality and of serious quality in every single one of these artistic disciplines. The question is all on us. What are we gonna do with that? Are we going to take advantage of them? Are we gonna embrace them? Or are we gonna to continue to be in some sort of siloed mode where we know four or five artists the same way we know four or five athletes and four or five senators yeah, who have elders connections? So, so let me ask you this, and then there are three questions that we ask everyone who steps into the cultural hall. So I'm listening to this. I'm enthused. I'm like, man, I, I got my... Uh, I got my Mormon support. I know it should be Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but wait, you say Mormon because it's quicker. I want to do this. I want to buy some visual art from these people. I want to purchase the music. I want to, whatever the thing is. How If people want to put some money where their ears, eyes, mouth is, how how can we, is there a place that we can go to be able to be like, yes, that is a database of people and I would love to look through that and and purchase some of those things. Boy, I love that question, Richie. I, I can't tell you how often I've wished people would ask it. Uh, there's, not, there's not a repository. There's not an archive. You would think that there would be. Um, universities have kind of gone back and forth on whether they are the archive of the church and so on. So as far as this gathering, um, that has not happened on an institutional basis. There's not like a museum where you go and you see the full history of the range of visual arts in our church, for example. Mm -hmm. um, but there are many, many aggregators for example, fiction and non and, uh, fiction and nonfiction and poetry, an association like the Association for Mormon Letters, for example, AML, they do a terrific job. If anybody wants to read books by LDS authors, I mean, there are I documented something like 150 published so far this year. Wow. I'm sorry. That was 2022. <laughs> it's mm -hmm. only January. I'll cut them a little bit of slack. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, you know, if you want to read books, you one of your questions might be, well, who are the authors? Well, that's that's the organization that will tell you. And they have awards at the end of the year. And those that will be just like, you know, going to the Oscars and you find out what movie you should go see. Mm -hmm. um, with visual artists, I would suggest that you you go to um, you find an artist that you like and it could be in a church publication. It could just be somebody that, you know, is LDS. You follow them on Instagram and then you follow the people who are following them. And that's the quickest way to get a broader view of what's happening. But the Center for Latter-day Saint Arts is getting quite good at explaining who all the artists are, who all the players are. And so, you know, anybody can subscribe. There's a free publication this the, the season. And you just go to our website, which is uh, centerforlatterdaysaintarts.org. And you can subscribe uh, and get this in your mailbox every month. I love um, it. So it's, it's really, really easy. And, and the, from the money side of it, I mean, uh, there are some artists whose works are expensive, but most of them are really not. Yeah. It's really quite easy. I mean, my wife and I uh, started collecting artwork and over a few years had 200 works. Wow. And in a small apartment, that became a little bit uh, <laughs> scary. And we ended up selling it to the Church History Museum as a, as a giant lot. Um, hmm. And But we didn't spend that much for anything. And so it can completely happen. Money is no barrier. Exposure is the barrier. All right, so people need to check that out, and that'll be in the show notes as well. So it's just as quick and easy as a as a click on a link. You didn't even have to write it down, as Glenn was saying. Glenn, there are three questions we ask everyone who steps in the cultural hall. I'll ask them of you right now. The first question is, is do you have a calling, sir? And if so, what is it? I'm the stake patriarch. Okay. We didn't even talk about anything about that. I would love to know all about that, and we don't have time. So 
consider all the questions asked about the steak patriarch and uh, you did great at answering them. The second question is, is if you could pick a calling for yourself, either one that exists or make one up, what would you pick? <laughs> okay, I've been saying this for a few years and no one takes me seriously, but I'm completely serious about it. I would like to be Ward Baker. Ward Baker? Yes. Okay. I want to do the sacrament bread. And some t- and I make, you know, I'm a pretty good cook and I make these beautiful artisanal boules and um I could completely get into that. <laughs> All right, I I like it. I I would prefer it sometimes you know, and it, and it's not what it's about. But sometimes I I take the sacrament and I think, who left this bread out? It's it's ruining sort of my experience. I know that's not what it's about. I'm not missing the point. But we, we could we could have some artisan breads, and I appreciate that calling. The last uh, the last question we ask everyone and ask you to interpret it however you may. But the question remains: What is your favorite part of your faith? Well, the inspiration part of it. So uh, the emphasis on the individual being able to circumvent all of the other things that are going on in in uh, in their lives and in the way that their work life and their family life and their church life and just go to some direct source. And uh, it's not as easy as switching on the light, um, but uh, people really can have divine intervention in their life much more than they think they can. Yeah, well said. Glenn, we hope that this episode has nourished and strengthened your body, that if you're not healthy enough to listen this week, that you'll be healthy enough to listen next week, and that when the time comes, you will be able to travel home in safety. In the meantime, Chris at Alpine Lakes Travel, Rick McGee, Debbie Wanless, and Chocolate Cake Bites Podcast, we'll be saving a seat for you on the back row of the Cultural Hall. Save me a seat, it's sure to be neat.